At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Except for the Woodside Kids, it's time for you to go. Hope you enjoyed time with us today, kids, and it's going to get even better for you now. God is so good. As we were singing that song, I was just reflecting on um, so many expressions of God's goodness that's right here. Think of Lisa and her survival of the cancer treatments and surgery and such things. And Kevin and the heart attack that God conquered, right? And restored you to where you could play drums again. I wasn't sure. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Certainly Joe's testimony of being spared from COVID-19. That was a pretty scary time in intensive care and things. And I don't know what you're going through. I think of Tony. Uh, I'm sure you're watching today, bro. So glad that God's brought you through that kidney. No way. I told you he's watching. Dude, give him a hand. Praise God. Give God a hand. So he had a weight loss program this week where they removed a kidney. And that's going to extend his life. We're so thankful for that. Keep praying. There's a big journey he's got ahead of him. Unless God just says, actually, it's done. I'm going to heal you completely right now. God can do that, bro. God can do that. Yep, he's already done a powerful work in your life. It's been cool to see it in your body and in your heart. That's been pretty awesome. There's lots of stuff. There's lots of stuff in our lives. But God is good, whether he heals you at the resurrection, whether he heals you in this moment, whether he provides for you and that indebtedness you have that, yeah, you're going to get out of this hole, or whether you can simply rejoice in in your ultimate indebtedness of sin and how the death and resurrection of Jesus has paid that complete in full, we have reason to rejoice in his goodness. So thanks for singing with us. Team, thanks for leading us in worship. All you volunteers, they got here early. Some get here at 7 o'clock to make sure signs are out, kids' men set up, and uh, equipment's working. Worship team gets here early. Um, there's, tea, there's folks here that clean the building because last week you were messy, and so they step in and, and get the building ready to go. So thanks so much for that. And if you'd like to be a part of those types of ministries, uh, just see that in the back. Uh, or fill out a communication card or put a message in the chat online. And we'll make sure you find a place where you can really delight in the thought of, I'm a part of this. I'm not just a recipient. I'm a part of presenting the word of God to hundreds and hundreds of people through the ministry of Woodside Algonac. So it's, a, it's, it's a really thrill. All right, you got your Bibles, right? If you don't, feel free to run to the back and grab one that's there on the table I'm going to grab a stand um, we also you have your devices a number of you and we'll have it on the screen 
By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, you want to take one of those home with you. Uh, that is absolutely fine. Can't think of a better use of one of those Bibles than one of you taking that home and, and reading it and spending time in it. So that's absolutely fine. Need to keep praying for this project of this room you're sitting in. We've got big plans for it. Uh, there's big hurdles to climb as contractors are super busy and material costs have skyrocketed <laughs> since we started talking about this. Uh, but God is in it. He's made it very clear to us. So just pray for that. Pray for safety as the workers, as, as they get busy uh, here soon. We realize that unless the Lord builds this house, they labor in vain that build it. In other words, it can end up looking really pretty, but unless the Lord is doing something here, what's the point? Right? We, we want his hand. We want his power expressed here. Um, that's what we need. That's what I need in my heart. That's what you need. That's what our community needs is the power of God. Let's pray that nothing stands in the way of what he wants to do. Matthew 25, we'll be starting this chapter today in our study of this, this discourse that Jesus gave to his followers right after he entered in the, through, in the, to Jerusalem on the pole of a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. Uh, he gave this sermon on the Mount of Olives. Joe, last week, Joe Chalufo shared um, from the last part of chapter 24, and the essence of his message, I'm sure you caught it, was this. Are you ready for Jesus' return? Gave a lot of wonderful stories that helped us think of, okay, what different areas of my life am I ready? He studied God's word and showed different meanings and connections. That message was clear. Jesus was preparing his followers for, first of all, a difficult season, but then that season would climax when Jesus would return and solve all the mess in this world. But when he returns, you're either going to spend the t eternity in joy with him or you'll spend eternity in judgment because you rejected him. So are you ready? So this morning we want to ask you a, kind of another question. Are you really ready? No, really, seriously. Are you ready? You've all probably had one of those dreams where you weren't, right? Ready for whatever. Uh, maybe you still have dreams of high school where you can't find your locker. Or, or you have those dreams of going to work and you can't find your office. Or you go in for a project and for to present and you have no idea what you're supposed to say. Or you realize you're still in your pajamas, or worse, right? One of those dreams where you, you just know you're not ready and you're, you panic. I've, I've been preaching on a Sunday morning for 25 years, and I'm telling you honestly, I still occasionally have the dream where it's Sunday morning, the worship leader puts down his guitar, and I walk to the stage with that immediate thought, I have nothing to say. This is Sunday. What am I going to say? Are you ready? Not, not for a speech, not for a class or a test or, or, or a project at work. That's trivial things. And they give us nightmares. But are you ready for the return of Jesus? Jesus told us a story after 
telling us about his return. It's, it's, it, it, Jesus is so good at this. He knows we're such complex creatures. It's that we need facts, we need data, and so he gives us data, he tells us things that will occur, but then he also knows we're emotive creatures and we're spiritual creatures. And, and so Jesus comes alongside of the data that he gives us and then says, okay, if that hasn't sunk in, let me tell you a story. And I love the stories of Jesus. I hope you do too. This is a good one. It's a story he tells to make sure, really, that you're ready. That the Son of Man is going to come. He's going to return at an hour you don't expect. That'll be one of the characteristics of when Jesus comes. It'll be a time that many people aren't ready. Don't be that one. In fact, as Jesus tells us, this delay in his coming is going to create difficulties in, in our faithfulness. But true disciples make provisions to go the distance. True disciples are prepared to go the distance. Matthew 25, verse 1. Let's read this story together. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Oh, give us some of your oil for our lamps are run out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us in you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Interesting story, kind of surprising and kind of awkward, I guess, because weddings in the first century in Jewish culture are a whole lot different than the weddings uh, we have today. One, there were multi-day affairs. Two, they, they weren't necessarily announced with a written invitation embossed with foiled lettering and such things, and the uh, reception hall wasn't reserved 18 months out, and you only have it for six hours or whatever. It was a multi-day affair. It was a long feast, and it was set as the bridegroom proposes and enters into, um, into that betrothal period with this person he, ch he chose to live with for the rest of his life and then after she accepted that offer he would go to prepare a place for her so that they could live together forever and typically that would mean adding to a room or rooms to his father's house so as the compound grew bigger as the children um you know, married and had their own families, and so that family would, would grow. So that's the stage they were in. The bridegroom was preparing a place for his betrothed, 
They, his friends and family knew it was going to be soon, so waiting for when the bridegroom kind of announced with his, with his guys that he's ready, let's celebrate. And so then there were these ten women, these ten virgins. Let's call them bridesmaids. That kind of puts it in the context that we understand. And there's ten of them, five of them are described as wise because they had their lamps because they didn't know when he was coming. They had oil. There was five who were foolish. They had their lamps with no oil. Does that make sense? One of our members here is a band director in Algonac, so just wanted to ask you. Does it make sense when your students show up for band and they say, um, I'm sorry, but I didn't bring my instrument. What? It's band class. Why do you not bring your instrument? Or kids showing up for basketball practice and says, I bring my shoes. What do you expect to play in, right? This doesn't make sense that you would bring a lamp with no oil when you don't know how long he's going to take. And in this story, of course, the bridegroom is delayed and it gets late. They all fall asleep. That's not a problem. The problem was when they woke up and it was dark at the shout of this bridegroom, five were ready and five weren't. So five followed in with the procession and entered into the feast. Five, because they weren't prepared, they weren't. They eventually got to the party, right? And so much to their surprise, when they knocked on the door, let us in, we're here. And the bridegroom says, I don't know you. And that's where we think, then why were they invited? And why were, they prepared, why, why were they waiting for his appearing if, if he doesn't even know them? So what does this story mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean, because there's been a lot of strange explanations of this. And some, some say, come to this and say, okay, let's talk about sexual purity. Jesus told this story of these ten virgins. It has nothing to do with that, right? Now, sexual purity is an important thing, so that's a good thing. This story just isn't about that. Secondly, it's not about the Holy Spirit. Some have said, well, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. You need to make sure. Well, you do need to make sure that you, of course, have the Holy Spirit in your life. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. But this story isn't necessarily about that. It's also not a story that says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a fish you just caught and is really hard to hold on to. Right? How many of you have caught a fish, maybe you scooped it up with that net, and as you're getting it off the hook, and splash, there it goes. Darren, not you, but people you fished with have. Right? I, I honestly had a friend say to me, he said, you know, I'm so concerned with my sister because she, I just think she has too much, she eats too much chocolate. And I'm afraid that though she believes in Jesus, if if she doesn't get over this, I'm not sure I'll see her in heaven. And, and I said to him, well, I think it's good that we take care of our bodies, but I'm not sure Jesus will say, how much chocolate have you eaten in your life? I don't think that Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is so slippery, you just might lose it just like that. So what's this story mean? Well, the cool thing about this story, after Jesus told it, he said, this is what it means. He says in verse 13, the story says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. 
That's what the story means. Be ready. Because you don't know when he's coming. It, 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 Jesus often used this, um, this re repetition to give emphasis. You, you've probably heard in scripture places where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you. Right? Have you heard, memorize that verse? Everybody say it with me. Truly, truly, I say unto you. Yep, you memorize part of a verse today. Way to go. Right? As Jesus' way of saying, so I'm going to tell you this. This is true. No, no, seriously. This is true. When Jesus gives that repetition, like many authors in Scripture do, they are creating emphasis so we don't miss it. In chapter 4 and verse 44, he says, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Let me tell you a story. He tells this story, and then he closes it by saying, so watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. In other words, let me tell you again. Be ready, because you don't know when he's coming. So are you ready? No, no, really. Are you ready? There's three things we want us to understand today as we reflect and meditate on this, on this story. First of all, as we understand, the bridegroom is representing Jesus, right? You probably picked that up right from the beginning. The kingdom of heaven represents that marriage feast. The women represent people. And in the story, Jesus basically breaks it down into two types of people. People that are ready and people that aren't. And the point of the story is be part of the people that are. So as he tells this story, we see, first of all, that superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Right, Jesus is telling this story to make sure these followers that are sitting around saying, wow, that was so cool how we came into Jerusalem and everybody started waving the branches and saying, Hosanna, come on, save us. This is time. This is good. I want to be a part of this. And now Jesus is telling this story to say, actually, it's going to get really bad. It's going to be so bad that you're going to drop everything and run to the hills. And when this happens, I hope it's not in winter because it's going to be really hard for you. But then I'm going to come. So if through this season of difficulty, if you bail, then you can see that, well, this, that was never true discipleship. Because superficial discipleship will be shown by his delay, by the difficulties that you endure, that it was insufficient. So be ready. On the surface, it appeared they were all ready, didn't it? I mean, the, all, all ten women. They were all waiting for the bridegroom. So in this, they were, had this sense that they were ready. But in the end, it showed that there was actually only five that, that were ready. And I found in a, in a Christian culture... A, post-Christian culture, whatever we are. When we, when we live in a land where a lot of us have some aspect of awareness of the claims of Christ, that there's a danger of a lot of people living their lives with the thought that, well, that's all I need, right? I mean, 
mean, I, I'm aware of it. I think of it occasionally, and I check in once in a while. So, so surely I'm ready. Where Jesus is re- revealing that 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 initial, that superficial, that that pseudo readiness is going to prove insufficient. The, the journey of life, the delay, the difficulties is going to reveal that your faith was not sincere in who he was. I get worried at times when I hear people say, well, you know, I've always believed. I understand it. But I'm concerned that that many people live with this thought of, so that's all that I need, right? Just this thought that, yeah, it's probably true, so that's sufficient for me. And the reason I get concerned, because I also see the difference when so many people who would then continue to tell the story, I've always believed, I never remember a time when I didn't believe, but something happened. Whether it was a crisis in their life or whether they, 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 a time alone with God and he spoke to them and for the first time they realized, whoa, this is real. Or maybe they were gathered in a worship gathering, they came along just you know, to please mom or to please my spouse or whatever. And so he came along, but somehow the spirit of God reached to their heart and touched them right where they were. And suddenly it's like the, Paul says, like the, the scales fell off from my eyes, right? And now my experience of following Jesus is like nothing I've seen before. Several of you have told me that story. That not used to, it used to be like seeing life through the lens, like, like grayscale, right? Where everything's blah. I mean, you, you see the lines, you see it. But, but then when, when Jesus touched your life and suddenly that faith became yours, that is like suddenly you have color for the first time in your life and you're amazed at the beauty and the splendor of who God is and the claims of his word and how true it is and how, what a difference it's making in your life. And you, you would say, I never want to go back to grayscale. Although I feel like I've seen something, I can never remember not seeing something, but then something happened. And I'm his. It seems like that's what Jesus is telling this group of people. It, That it's more than just saying, hey, everybody thinks this is cool, so I'm going to jump in. Or, well, this is what our family's always done, so I guess I'll, you know, I don't want to be the one that drops it. But I've gotten to the point where Jesus became mine. And faith became real. And my life in Jesus suddenly is mine. That before, I'm not sure what it was, but now I do. Does that make sense to anybody here? Can, can you tes- testify of that? that yeah, I get, something happened, and I've been made new. Jesus called it being born again. Jesus described it as having the Son, not simply knowing about the Son, but suddenly coming into possession of the gift that he's given to you. The story also suggests that the delays are going to be hard. Delays will test your faith. 
implies that in, in, in his teaching that his, his return will be soon. Jesus said that. The apostles prayed for that. They said that he would come soon, come quickly. But then he also implied in his teaching that there will be a delay like the women waiting for him thought he would come sooner and his delay reveals they weren't quite ready. The foolishness of the women is not that they fell asleep. The foolishness of the women that they didn't prepare for a delay. It's the waiting for the answer that reveals if you're truly trusting. It's your faithfulness in waiting for his provision that reveals if you're truly trusting in the provider. Jesus had talked about this before. He told a story, another story of the parable of the soils. Do you remember that? He said the word of God is like, or the kingdom of God is like a sower that goes out to sow and as he scatters the seeds, some falls on, on rocky ground and and some falls on the path, and some falls amongst the weeds, and some falls on good soil. And on the rocky ground, the birds come, and although it might sprout a bit, the birds come and take it away. On the path, the sun scorches it, and it, and it dies. But the seed that comes into the ground, have you planted a seed and suddenly it produced? No, typically you plant a seed and you wait. Right? You plant that seed and you wait. And, and you're not sure exactly when it's going to come. In fact, we have these purple bean seeds that we plant. Uh, Nancy's mom has some. My mom has, has those plants. and uh, They're annuals. And so after the season, you gather the seeds and, and then you plant them. And it's kind of a race to see whose plant comes up first. Right? It, it all depends on weather. It depends on climate. And probably when you plant it. But you're waiting for that seed to come. And Jesus says the waiting will reveal if the truly the, the seed has fallen into good soil of your heart. Persecution and trials are going to come. That's going to be part of the Christian experience. All right, consider if you haven't been persecuted for your faith, we can assume that we're an anomaly. Right? We're kind of an exception. Because most believers in the world will experience some type of persecution. But there is no exception to the thought that all believers will experience difficulty. That's, there's, there's no exception to that. In this world, you will suffer. And it'll take a while many times for that provision to come in. Faithfulness in waiting reveals what's real. Third, it reveals, the story reveals that preparations cannot be borrowed Interesting story, wasn't it? As the, as the five foolish go to the five wise to say, ah, we don't have oil, can I have some of yours? And they didn't let them have any. So maybe that's where you got caught up in this story. You thought, okay, this is a bad story. Who's the bad people here? Those selfish people. Well, they, they, there wasn't enough. So if they shared, they both run out. Right? So, but the point of the story is they were prepared and the others weren't. I think we can see that you can't ride on the laurels of someone else. Again, that's another danger in our culture today. That so many people are 
their faith is based on the faith of someone else. On grandma's faith, on mom and dad's faith, or my spouse's faith. There's probably people here that you're here because your spouse wanted you to be here. That's pretty much it. But I want to say, first of all, thank you for honoring your spouse. That's good. And that will benefit this life because you're working towards harmony together. But if it's not a sincere faith, it will do nothing for the life that's to come. And how tragic it would be to invest your energies into one one hundred billionth part of your existence and neglect the ninety-nine hundred billionth part of your your existence. You know what I'm saying? For 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 that intention, for you to honor simply somebody else and say, I'm kind of along for the ride, and yet for the rest of eternity you not to be with them. Students that are in the room. Your parents have been faithful to teach you the things of Jesus. And you're here, which is wonderful. But you have to ask yourself the question, am I ready? Is this faith mine? Have I weighed the costs? And have I considered the claims of Christ? And have I come to the conclusion that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And I'm in. And he is mine. You can't ride the laurels of someone else. You can't, you can't say, well, my name's in my mom's family Bible. That's got to count for something. No. 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what's done in his life. Each. Or as Jesus asked Peter, as Peter said, well, some say you're this, some say you're this, and then Jesus asked that key question, well, who do you say that I am? Not everybody else. That doesn't really matter, but who do you say that I am? The bridegroom said to the foolish women, truly, I didn't know you. Later on, in later, later chapter, Jesus will say, many will say, I will say to many on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's, that gets us to that question, well, does Jesus or God have like this amnesia? Where surely he knows everybody, right? He knows, he knows the number of hair on our head. He knows the thoughts before we even think them. And then he gets to the point where he says, I don't know you. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. This isn't just an awareness of your existence, a knowledge of who you are. It's a commitment a mutual commitment to relationship. That's what the bridegroom says. We're not committed. It's not a place for you. John 14, 21, Jesus told his disciples, he who loves me will be loved by the Father. So, 
for the father at that point of judgment to say, I don't know you. He's saying, because you don't know my son. Because you haven't committed your life to my son, then I have no relationship with you. Nothing has bridged the gap of separation between me, a sinless, perfect God, and you, a sinful people. But if you know my son, now I can know you because that barrier is gone. If you've accepted the way, the truth, and the life, if you've accepted the true atonement for your sins, now we can know each other. So enter into the wedding feast and enjoy this with me. So are you ready? Really? Are you ready? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Not, not to, it's not a mental ascent. Right? It's a commitment to a truth. The true possession is revealed through commitment. Commitment that says, I'm yours and you're mine. As Romans chapter 10 says, so if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You will be known by God. Here's the cool thing about God's invitation. To his wedding feast, here's another difference. In any of the weddings that I've been a part of, there's been a limit to the wedding list, right, to the invitation list. We've had two weddings in our family so far. We've got a third one as my son became engaged here a month or so ago, and so we're looking forward to that. What do you think they've already asked us to do? Okay, mom and dad, who are we inviting to the wedding? You get four, or whatever they said, right? <laughs> Why? Well, because the room's only so big, the pot is, soup is only so big, right? So there's that limit. Here's the cool thing about this invitation from God. It is for all people. For God so loved the world. His invitation is for all. And yet it's limited to those who say yes to Jesus. So what's your response? You just told other stories of when there was this big feast. The guy went out and invited all kinds of people. Only a few people came. There's so much room. Okay, go out to invite people you don't even know. The net is cast wide, but only a few will respond. Can I just beg you today, make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. Maybe, maybe for you today, maybe this was the challenge that God was wanting to give to you to say, okay, stop relying on the person next to you. Stop being a spectator and watching other people walk the life of faith. It's time for you to consider that question. Yeah, but who is Jesus to you? If this is that day of salvation for you, if the Holy Spirit is, is wooing you and whispering your name and saying, come on, come on, this is time. Let me just beg you, say yes to him. In this moment, you can do it right now in the quietness of your heart. You can just say, close your eyes and turn your heart to him and say, Jesus, yes, I accept like a wedding proposal where the, where the groom 
proposing says, I'll take care of you, I love you, and I'll provide for you, I'll have a home for you, will you be mine? Only if she says yes, are you his. So may that be your response to him today. Maybe some of you, or as you examine your life, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today, and you realize that it's really been a very superficial commitment. It's kind of like that looking at grayscale, right? Looking at life through that, that grayscale where he's there, you feel like somewhere in there, but he's certainly not front and center. What a beautiful day for you to say, it's time. It's time for you to step back, put Jesus in the front, and allow all of my life to be filtered through the lens of I am his and he is mine. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to say yes to you today. Maybe there's some here, Lord, that would say, well, I know I'm his, but there's things in my life that just, it would be an embarrassment if Jesus came today. Lord, may they get that right. But Father, I pray most importantly, Lord, that every single person here would consider, Lord, have they responded to you? Have they welcomed your invitation to rescue them from sin, for you to take up habitation in their heart and life and for you to be their Lord and Savior. May today be the day of their salvation. We love you, Father. Thank you for inviting us to be part of the feast. And may we be faithful until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's ref- Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.